All right. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, so we normally come Saturday nights. We've been coming to Shine for a little over a year um, now. And so I've got four kids ranging from six to 15. Um, Those are pictures of them doing things that they love. My beautiful wife, Lauren, uh, this was, that picture was uh, doing something that we love to do. We were traveling uh, together. We were in New Hampshire just a few weeks ago, uh, looking at all the trees. I was not super excited about that trip, but it was actually pretty nice. Um, so we went and, uh, you know, I loved her in that way. So anyways, we went there and that's, that's my family. Um, we, I am not a pastor here at Shine. I'm not on staff here at Shine. I am part of the teaching team now. Uh, we'll see if I get invited back up to the podium after tonight or this morning but uh so i'm in oil and gas and there's there's a few of us in here that are so that's uh that's my industry that's my profession it's what i do i have a huge heart uh for what i do and for how the lord could use my industry big shocker actually in his kingdom around the world so that's a big part of who i am uh the the map of the 1040 window there in the upper right hand corner the red stars are places where i've lived so uh worked one month on, one month off in Hussey Massoud, Algeria, surrounded by Muslims, and then over on the east side in Beijing with my family. Uh, Lauren and I there were a part of a um, unregistered, unsanctioned uh, church gathering that was maybe a little bit smaller than kind of what we're doing here at Shine. Uh, we met in restaurants, and then the police would come after a few weeks, and then we would disappear and do house church for a little bit, and then pop up in another restaurant, you know, weeks later. It was just loads of fun. And so Lauren and I were, yeah, some of that <laughs> stresses you guys out, but we thought it was the greatest adventure ever. And so, but Lauren and I both were on the teaching team uh, there. And so um, uh, got a lot of passion for missions, missional strategy. We've got a lot of passion for preaching, though I'm not well-practiced. Um, I love uh, kind of what the Lord is doing in all of us in our unique context to bring kingdom people into every nook and cranny of our culture, uh, to bring the kingdom of God to those people, right? It's not all about getting them through the door and here, but how can they experience God just by virtue of us walking into the room out there? What happens outside the four walls of the church? So if you throw all that in a blender, that's a real quick snapshot of what makes me tick, why, what gets me out of bed in the morning, and, and so that's who I am. Um, so with that, let's, um, let's, just, let's just pray one more time, if you don't mind. Lord God, we just love you so much, and we just want to, uh, we just want to love you more. So we just pray that this morning, uh, sorry for the engineer speak, but we just want to gather data points that are just going to drive us to our knees in greater worship of you and surrender in our life. And so we pray, Father, as we open your word, and we have this privilege of, of uh, diving into your word and, and, and the phrase from the Bible, wash ourselves with the water of the word, that you would change us from the inside out into men and women and young people that are just more head over heels in love with you and in greater surrender to you because the reality is you are our king and it is our joy to let you rule and reign over us because you know what's best. And so, Father, we just, we just take that position from the very onset of the morning, and we pray that you would do this work. That is, everything I just prayed is so far out of my reach, it's not even funny, but you, God, if you come through, um, powerful things can happen. And so we just pray for that. Um, Lord, we pray for this series, continuing through First John, that you would just let this, this letter just change our lives. Father, we recognize that we're only one small gathering in a larger C church, capital C church in the, in the area of Castle Rock and surrounding Douglas County. And we just pray that uh, for all the churches that they would just uh, submit to you, that you would be pleased by them and that you would just multiply and bless their efforts in everything that they do. Thank you for the staff here at Shine. And Lord, we just, uh, yeah, we just thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so... First uh, John is a pretty, pretty heavy, especially chapter two, pretty heavy chapter, and it it encounters. If you were to just read it quickly, and some of you uh, who have done your homework uh, have read it, and there's parts of First John chapter two that, when you read it, feel at first pass very condemning. And if you're like me, you almost take this defensive posture where you immediately go into rationalization and, you know, well, that doesn't, you know, and that means this and all that. And so um, I just ask whenever we encounter difficult passages like this, that we don't, as a church, we don't, we don't pull back. 
we don't take a defensive posture, but we actually do the opposite. We lean in. We lean in, lean in for greater understanding. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. But before we dive into the text, we've got to understand that we are, we are reading a letter, right? This is a personal letter written, written by a, a, a man that's basing in an Eastern culture. And it's written to those, to an Eastern audience. Well, we're we're Western culture folks over here. And so one of the big differences is in the West, the onus is, and for me even here, it, the, the, the burden that I bear is I need to pull the truth out of the weeds and I've got I've to present it in such a way so clearly and succinctly that you can pick it up and get it, right? And so uh, the teacher is not teaching unless the students learn. If you've heard that phrase, and if the students aren't learning, the onus is on the teacher, not the students to try hard. It's the teacher's got to change their strategy. They've got to change their approach to be able to communicate in a way that the students pick it up. That's a very Western ideal. In the East, it's the polar opposite. The onus is on the student, on the hearer, on the reader to walk the path with the author in order to discover the truth for themselves. And that's why so much of it, so many of us, like we're reading, especially in the Old Testament, the Hebrew text, and it's just like, why can't they just come out and say it? Like, why do we have to use parables, Jesus? Why do we have to speak in this way? And it's because you're on this journey. So how do we know that we're on the path? Well, we've got to take John, who was a real man with real uh, leanings and real personality, and we've got to lock arms with John, and we have got to walk the path with him. And if we ever divert, then you're, you're going to end up in some place where John the author never intended you to go. And you're going to discover some truth. It may be true, but it's not the path that he had you on. And so if we, as we dive into this and we read about do not love the world and we think we've got to shave your head like me and throw on a monk robe and like be a separatist from the world, John's sitting there going, dude, you, you left me in the dust. I'm way, where, where did you end up? So we've got to stay with John. So that's going to be something that's going to be preeminent really for this chapter and kind of the chapter three, chapter four. Uh, and if we don't do that, we can read these things and end up in some weird place. So let's, let's not do that. Um, so we've got to understand as we're walking through this path, just a reminder of the last two weeks, uh, Mark preached and Dan preached, like what is the path? What's the terrain? What are we walking through? And we've got to remember that in this... Um, what was pervasive in this Greek culture was this philosophy of Gnosticism, which uh, in an oversimplified um, kind of summary is material things are bad, they're flawed, they're broken, uh, but spiritual things are good, right? So the spirit is good, physical is bad. And so when you view Jesus through that lens, right, we, we're saying Jesus is good, so therefore he's got to be all spiritual, and we really take away his humanity. And the Christian doctrine, the Christian belief is that he was fully God and fully man. But if you take away Jesus' humanity, this whole house of cards we call Christianity kind of falls apart. Because Hebrew teaches us that it takes the human blood, a human sacrifice to pay for the human sin problem. Bulls and goats weren't good enough, right? So if Jesus wasn't a human, then it kind of nullifies the effectiveness and the validity of his sacrifice. And if he wasn't really human, if he was just kind of the spirit with the shell on where he just had the appearance of being human, then he didn't really die. And if he didn't really die, then he, didn't, he wasn't resurrected. And you kind of see these three pillars, it's like the whole house falls down if he wasn't a human. So this is a big, this is a big deal. And we'll talk as we kind of progress through the morning here on the social implications of this heresy of Gnosticism. All right, so... With that, we're going to jump into the text, uh, and we're going to do things a little bit different this morning, which you guys hear all the time, so it's not a big deal. Um, but we're not going to have, well, we will, we will at the end, if we have time, going to have some uh, kind of unhurried discussion with, with everybody here. But there's going to be times as I'm kind of working through this where I'm going to pause, and I'm going to ask you, and, and I'm not looking for 15 responses, I'm looking for like one or two. And so um, even if I don't ask for it, if you guys, I'm just giving you permission, if you want to interrupt or you want to raise your hand and say, I have something to say about that, please, please feel free to do that. Very comfortable with that, and that's kind of the culture that we've set here. So, all right, we're going to jump into 1 John. If you want to pull out your Bibles or read your screen, 
We left off in verse 3 before, so here we go. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Let me, let me redo verse 4 in just normal language. The one who says that he knows God but doesn't obey him and doesn't live a lifestyle that is apparently in obedience to God, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's all words, but there's nothing real in him. That's what he's saying. So verse five, but whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner he walked. So there's a few key ideas, big ideas that kind of float to the surface here. There's this idea of this man who says, oh, I know God, right? And there's this knowing, this knowledge. And then there's the one who keeps his commands, right? And there's this obedience um, kind of theme. And then there's this thing, this really pregnant verse where it says, in him, the one who knows me and obeys me, in him, the love of God has been perfected. So we're going we're gonna to talk about those things. But if you guys think about something totally non-spiritual, right? Just think of anything. And you, um, any topic, any hobby, any sport, um, we all know people who have book smarts, right? They've got, they know the stats, they know all the facts and figures of that particular thing, but then they take it to a whole new level, don't they? And then it's like, they've got the heart behind it. They, they have knowledge that goes beyond just what the books say about that thing, right? Like, I, I think about Matt, like, right here on the front row. Like, if, you, if you're thinking about, uh, I was last year thinking about buying a, a dirt bike, right? And Matt can sit there, and he can go through the academics with you, and he can tell you, okay, at this altitude, this is what you want, da 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 But Matt dirt bikes, and you've been dirt biking for a long time, decades probably, and so this guy knows experientially, he knows dirt biking, right? Um, when I look at Skylar, <laughs> use another front row example. Um, Skylar, uh, actually, have you got a microphone right there that's on? You want to test it? Can you? Hello. Oh, there, good. Skylar, could you kind of briefly tell people like what you do for work? Oh, um, yeah. So um, I'm actually in the middle of a transition, but uh, currently I meet with families who... Um, have DHS come into their lives, and when their children are removed, I'll meet with the parents to teach them parenting skills mm -hmm. or trauma-informed parenting and help them to get their lives back together so that yeah. once their kiddos hopefully get reunited, yeah. um, they uh, move forward. Be successful. Yeah. yeah, thanks. Appreciate that. So, uh, Skylar, I'm sure you went to school uh, to learn about how to do that. I'm sure you've got book smarts on... Um, you know, different diagnoses and different approaches and different philosophies on how to do all that. And you could probably write papers on how to do that. But if you were to train somebody and just hand that to them, I mean, you wouldn't train them that way, right? You'd probably take them with you, bring them into a broken home. And you've got that experience in the heart. And there's also the why, like why you do that, right? So there's a big difference. Y'all see this, this progression from uh, knowing to like, deeply knowing, right, from experience. And so when we look at this text, it's so interesting. If you notice these, I'm going to call them qualifiers, right? So starting in verse 3, by this we know that we've come to know him if we keep our commands. So he's saying you can't say you know God unless, or, or let me rephrase that, if you know God, if you are an intimate of God, not know about God, but know him, it's because you've obeyed him. And then later on in verse four, it says, if you've obeyed him, it's because the love of God has been perfected in you. You see that? Versus the way we think and the way I was raised, it was like, okay, or you see people come into the church for the first time and what do they do? I mean, it's so cute. They come in and they're like, I wanna know, I wanna know, you know? And it's like gathering all these facts. And then it's like when they see enough evidence, they're like, okay, all right, I'm gonna start taking steps of obedience. And this was me for 18 years of my walk with the Lord. Now I'm gonna take steps of obedience and if I obey good enough, then I will be in a position where now I will earn the love of the Father. And we've got it completely backwards right? The father's going to come in 
and he's gonna put his love in you. And it says, in him, the love of God is perfected. So there's this word perfected. It actually uh, means, oh, let me read it. Um, it's this, I don't know where it is. Um, perfected means that it's reached its goal. It's, it's, to, it's to achieve its purpose. It's, um, but it's more than that. It's almost like you've got to work through the entire process. There's no shortcuts. It's like after you've worked through the entire process to reach the final goal. So the picture here is God plants his love in your heart as a seed, and that seed has to die, and it has to set roots, and then it has to sprout, and it has to bear leaves and grow a stalk, and then it blossoms into this, into this thing. It, and it, as it's doing that work in you, which takes time, by the way, as he's doing that work in you, he's actually changing you from the inside out. And this love that is beyond comprehension, as it's doing its work inside of you, right? It compels you to respond to such great a love. So now you're in a place where you're like, I've got to do something for you, right? I, I want to do something for you, not because I have to, but out of response of how you're loving me and you're meeting my needs and you're filling me up. And so now I want to serve and respect and honor and reflect that back to you. And then after you've done that for even a week, I challenge you, for a week, or for sure after decades, you are now in a place where you have, you have said yes to the Lord in hard circumstances, and he has come through for you. You have said yes to the Lord when it makes no sense, and he has come through for you. You have said yes to the Lord, and you've got this history of obedience with him, and now where do you find yourself? You are a man and woman who knows the Lord, right? Like, you know the Lord. You don't just know where that scripture is, like you know him. And so I've got a 15-year-old daughter who's asking me like, God, or dad, not God, dad, how do you know? <laughs> sometimes. Um, <clears throat> you can play that role. Um, sometimes she's like, dad, how do you know God is good? And she's struggling with one of the hardest doctrines I think that's in the entire book is like the goodness of God versus the reality of hell and like all that, like what? And so she's like, but how do you know that God is good? Um, and dad, what if, what if God was to treat you like Job, right? And I'm sitting there and uh, my heart breaks because I'm looking at the path I've been on, right? I'm thinking of my sister for 26 years who was bound to a wheelchair as like a six month old and walking through her with that with her as her sibling. I'm thinking about the challenges that Lauren and I have been through. I'm thinking about all the stuff we went through overseas and I'm like, baby, there is no doubt in my mind that the Lord is good. There's not even like, I'm not even on shaky ground on this issue and I'm just so jealous for her to walk with him long enough and intimately enough so that she knows for herself because you can't teach that. You can't say, well, here's a lesson and here's three points I have for you. It doesn't work. And so that's what John, John is a passionate lover of Jesus Christ and he's trying to bring his people there and he's writing this letter to say, here's, let me give you some tips. Um, I, I wanna, time's sake, let me, uh, can we just pause there for a second? Like, does anybody have an example of yourself where you felt like, um, let's, let's get away from, um, you know, dirt bikes and, and career, but like, let's, let's move to the Lord. If there, was there ever an example in your life or in somebody else's life where you felt like you had it all here and then you went through something or you walked through an experience and it was like, oh man, I'm lacking here. Has anybody had an experience like that you'd like to share? I had, a. Uh, raising your hand oh okay <laughs> he's like is there anybody like um, to see if anybody else said anything um yeah I, I feel like i went through something like that um my original plan my original path uh when i was in college was to step through college finish college masters finish masters phd finish phd postdoc finish postdoc finish postdoc uh and then go be a therapist and a teacher at the same time and then in the midst of that, I prayed for God to break my foundation mm -hmm. on the world and to build it up on him. And he responded by closing the door to that path and completely yeah. changing um, what I thought I knew. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Skylar, thank you. 
I had, uh, I went to Texas A&M University and I was in my sophomore year and um, I came from a Southern Baptist background, which was, which was all in the head, right? And, um, and or my Southern Baptist experience was all in the head. And um, so when I got to college, I was very puffed up, which is what knowledge does. Um, and I know many of you have Catholic backgrounds. And so I just, there was some doctrinal differences with Catholicism. And I thought I was like, you know, just had a really negative attitude towards Catholics, and uh, which is terrible. And, um, and then I, Jason Jesco, this guy entered my life, um, and he actually was my roommate my junior year. And this guy had such a burning heart for Jesus Christ that I felt about this big. I was like, forget this. Like his, my knowledge was so much better than his, but his obedience and his pursuit of the Lord made, made mine look like I was messing around. And so I've never forgotten that, right? That we've got to have it in the right order. And what the Lord truly cared about, I, I honestly believe like at that time in that season of my life, when he looked down, who do you think he was more pleased with, Right? Jason, he had it, right? This is what Jesus was coming through, and he was hammering the Pharisees, not because he hated them, but because he loved them, but they were just all up here. And so he's wanting it to sink in down here. So let's move into the next set of verses in verse seven. Verse seven, beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard but on the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment. I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. All right, that first verse seven, we'll continue here in a second. Um, he says, beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you. Uh, and it's almost as if he's, he's coaching us there that, hey, new commandments, new teachings, that it, very appropriately, there should be a red flag there. So especially you young people in the room, if you're going along, and you hear a podcast or you hear a new teaching or somebody hands you a new book and it's something just totally new, um, it's very good to test that new teaching. I'm not saying it's not true, but I think it's very appropriate. And he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm not writing anything new here to you. I'm writing to you things that you've heard from, from day one, right? And that's good. But then John being John, he's like, but on the other hand, I am writing something new to you. And so what, what that means to me is I kind of interpret that um, it's almost like marriage vows, right? Like marriage vows, that is an old vow that I took. Lauren and I will be married 20 years next year. We've been through the ringer together and that is, that is an old vow. Um, but isn't it true that in every new season, every new set of challenges, when we moved to Castle Rock right before COVID hit, you know, we're going through something with the kids at their school. Like that, that vow that I, that I took uh, to love her and to honor her and to cherish her no matter what, um, that, that, it gains a new freshness and it requires new commitment to me, from me over and over with every season. And so he's, it's as if he's saying, hey, for the Christian, these old commands that you've received, it's, they're just perpetually new as you walk with the Lord. So that's how I interpret that. Um, but then continuing on, he says, on the other hand, I write a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, which I think is cool because that means like Jesus, like in him, it's, it's true in me. It's a fresh command, but it even says in him, like Jesus afresh recommits to the promises he, that he made to us. And every, that's just wild. This is just a real thing that's happening here. It's not stale or dead. All right, verse nine. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light because the, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because of the darkness that has blinded his eyes. All right, so now we're talking about love and hate and brothers, and, and I think the translation up here is brothers and sisters. What it, what it means is other Christians, right? That are, these are people that are in the church, okay? And so if you, you have hate, notice this connection between uh, hate and darkness and love and light, Okay, and these, this juxtaposition, it's this idea that I'm going to lay two things side by side that are so different, they're opposites, but I'm going to set them side by side to make a point. There's no gray area in here. It's one or the other. And this, this language of, of hate, it's, uh, it's tough for us, right? But this uh, hyperbole is used in several, you know, Jesus used this uh, as he was teaching, right? He actually told people 
and you can just imagine the shock value here, right? He says, unless you hate your mother and father, your brother and sister, you can't follow me. Well, he didn't, you know, he, you can't interpret that as like he really wanted you to hate your parents because he says earlier than that, he says, you know, if you hate anyone in your heart, it's the same as committing murder and you're breaking one of the Ten Commandments of Moses, right? Like uh, he doesn't want you to hate them, but it's this, uh, it's this idea at the time in the original text Hate and love, there was this, um, there was this preference to it. It's like they, they had connective tissue, right? So if you're loving, um, there's other scripture that says, okay, when I love somebody, it's, it's what I prefer for myself, I'm actually deferring it to someone else. And so I'm gonna go down, I'm gonna elevate them up. That's loving somebody else. Isn't that true in marriage and family and workplace? Um, but if you hate something, it's, you're actually preferring something else over that thing that you're hating, okay? And we've got to look at the metaphor too. He didn't just pick out light and darkness to describe this. We can actually lean on that when this is tough, when this is a difficult passage to understand. Well, what we do know light and darkness very, very well, don't we? I mean, those are very clear concepts for us. And so darkness is the absence of light. Hatred is the absence of... Now that... Are we guilty of that, church, of our brothers and sisters in Christ? Do we ever have an absence of love for them? And so that's what John is walking us through. And if we walk the path with him, we're, we're coming to a place, if, we're gonna, if we were going to worship and follow the true Jesus, that love should abound in our heart for our brothers and sisters in Christ. All right, um, verse 12, moving to the next portion of Scripture um, and these are where, you know, things kind of get weird, but bear with me. I almost, I'm going to read this fast because if I read it fast, it's even more fun. But he said, okay, I'm writing to you little children because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you children because you know the father and I have written to you fathers because you know him from the beginning and I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Whew. And it's like, okay, John, like, I am not getting this. You know, we're talking about this whole obey versus knowledge theme. Now we're talking about love and hate and new command and old command. And then it's like he almost gets to this parenthetical aside where he just changes the rhythm of the whole. It's almost like he threw uh, poetry right there in the middle of his letter. And, it, and he says the same. He's very repetitive. And it's like, what are you doing? Um, and what I don't, I don't have this fully figured out. But I did make some observations that I thought were kind of interesting, so I wanted to, wanted to show them to you. So, the, um, so this literary mechanism we're using here, it's, it's actually parallelism, and it's uh, very, very common in the Hebrew culture, right? And so uh, it's, it's very similar to what Dan referred to last week about, you know, he talked about the sandwich. You know, it's bread, bread, and the meat's in the middle. Um, that's kind of like how these, these work, and many of them, uh, the meat, is right in the middle. Now, I was not able to find something in the middle despite best efforts, but uh, I did see the same pattern, right? So you see A, B, C, like children, fathers, young men, A, B, C, A, B, C. So you see the pattern there? And so for wh whatever um, uh, reason, if you were a Hebrew person, if you were a Jew receiving this letter, when he got to this point, it would kind of pierce your heart because it would be very common uh, stylistically of what you were used to from a rabbi to his students. So um, the other interesting thing, I think, is the verb tense. So I am writing, am writing, am writing, have written, have written, have written. That sounds to me like new command and old command. When you look at the subjects, right? So children, fathers, young men, young women, um, very familial, endearing language. Uh, many commentators will say, that this doesn't just represent various stages of physical maturity, but it represents the various stages of spiritual maturity, right? So children being the ones that are kind of new in the faith and the fathers and the mothers being the ones that have, have walked with the Lord and they've got decades of a spiritual resume. And so it's almost like he's meeting each one at their level and he's implicitly saying, hey, within the church, spiritual diversity of maturity is great, not everybody has to be a father and mother right now. Like, it's okay to be right where you're at. And I, I love that. 
Um, another thing that's just a little tidbit, because you'll see it later on in the, in the letter, but this is the first time he uses this phrase. In English, it's translated, I think in every translation that I checked, little children. Well, little children is actually a different Greek word than children at the end of verse 13. Um, that little children is technion. It actually, it's actually a term of endearment from a rabbi to his students. It's almost like in some traditions, you know, the priest or the reverend is, um, had this, you know, reverent and honoring title. People call him father. Well, it's kind of the reverse of that, where the rabbi referring so to his students as, hey, little children, right? You're, you're my disciples. And so the only time that that word is used Paired with the only time that phrase is used, your sins have been forgiven, it's as if to imply that, hey, this is baseline for all of us, right? Like all of us, your sins have been forgiven. That's kind of like square one. And then when you move into the second portion of this, um, this literary mechanism, it says children because you know the father, fathers because you know. And then it gets into young men and all these cool things that they're able, all these victories that they have. But I think it's interesting, it doesn't do children, young men, and fathers, like in order. He starts the least mature and the most mature. It's as if to say, hey, your beginning point and your ending is all about knowing the father. What little you may know as a child, and then after you've walked with the Lord in obedience, like what we talked about in verse three through six, then it comes right back full circle to knowing the Lord, but now in a greater intimacy. The same guy who wrote this, John, wrote the Gospel of John. Chapter 17, verse 3, a super famous prayer that he's praying to God the Father. And he says, and he's praying to the Father, and he said, Lord, this is eternal life, that they may know you. And so you see this, this link here between knowing, obeying, and living that true eternal life, abundant life that, that we hear so much throughout the New Testament. Any comments about that? Thoughts? All right. Next, we've got um, the, the next group of texts I'm going to kind of squat on for the rest of the, rest of the time here that we have together. Uh, verse 15 to 17. My wife said, um, I guess two Saturdays ago, that she used to dwell on this text because, while she was in high school because she just thought it was so condemning. She's like, can I be a Christian? And still, you know. And so uh, starting in verse 15, it says, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The love of the Father is not him in him. Opposite of what we talked about before. Okay, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For if that is in the, oh, excuse me, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Uh, a famous Bible commentator, Matthew Henry, says the focus here is on people who operate purely on a material level and have no spiritual dimension to their existence. This is the person who loves the world, whose affections are all centered on the world, and who has no love for God or spiritual things. Uh, that's why that phrase in verse 15, the love of the Father is not in him. Uh, Romans 8 talks about those who walk according to the flesh versus according to the spirit. This is the one who walks according to the flesh. We all know people like this. We've all been in seasons ourselves when we've done that, where it's just like, I just put God up here on this shelf, and I'm just living my life. And that's, that's kind of what it's referring to here. What it, what it does not mean is not to enjoy worldly things, right? So uh, my son, Eli, my youngest son, he is way into Texas country right now. He's 10 years old. He's kind of getting into the whole music scene. Uh, I have a big passion for, uh, you know, not, not the country music you hear on the radio here, which is pretty terrible if I say so myself. Um, but this like underground, you know, no big record label, just, and the music is so good. And so uh, he's getting into this. And right now there's just like this explosion where there's all these new songs coming out. And so we routinely hear things, that, a song that we've never heard before. And Eli gets so excited about like, oh man, is that, is that Bailey Zimmerman's voice? Is that, is that Parker McCollum in the background? Like, is he singing verse two, you know? And he goes straight from the song and his deep pleasure of the song to the singer behind the song, right? And we see this 
all through, like in Genesis, when God created the world, what did he say? He said it's good, right? It's not flawed. It's not broken. He said it's good. And then uh, Kim preached, um, there's Kim, uh, a couple weeks ago uh, through Leviticus and was talking about festivals, right? And we often don't think of Leviticus in this way, but it's literally a book to teach God's people how to party, how to have festivals. And what we need to learn as Americans is throw some elbows, create some space to stop and just enjoy. Enjoy created things. Enjoy good food. Enjoy good drink. Enjoy good fellowship with friends and family and relish in the goodness of God and what he's done for you in the past and take it. That should be a regular rhythm in your life. Just enjoy it. But let the, the enjoyment of those things propel you to worshiping the creator whore, right? The one who, who brought that, who, who enabled you to enjoy that batch of chocolate chip cookies. I mean, even, even to that, right? And so those things are all good, all good. And the Bible is super clear on that. What this is not saying is, like I said earlier, where you've got to be a separatist and you've got to separate and you can't listen to any, you know, I just, I don't subscribe to that. I don't think that's what John's saying. But I remember the dynamic between hate and love, right? There's, they're connected. And so when he says, do not love the world because the love of the Father is not in him, it's, he's, he's implying there by his choice of words that don't love the world in a way where it doesn't propel you to greater love for the author of those things, but rather you're choosing those things over the provider, the one who sustains you the one who brings all those things to you. You know, I mentioned that I had a sister that was bound to a wheelchair her whole life. Like, enjoy a walk in your neighborhood because you have legs that work, that he gave you those things, right? Practice that level of thankfulness and enjoy it. Enjoy the sunset, enjoy the worldly stuff, but don't love it to the point where it displaces your love for the Father. Um, that last kind of phrase there bothered me a little bit. Verse 17, it says, the world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. The one who does the will of God, the one who obeys, right? Remember verse three through six, uh, lives forever. I don't think John is speaking just to the duration of life if you do this. Um, I think he's speaking to the quality, the substance of life if you do this. That in that word forever, lives forever, that's the same root word in the root of eternal, eternal life in John 17, 3. And so again, you see this link between obedience and eternal life and knowing him and walking in him. But I don't want to this morning explain all this away and take the teeth out of it because there's teeth here. There is a command to obey and there is a call to holiness right? And so when I, uh, I don't know if you guys have this, but there's, there's, you know, I think Romans 8, Ephesians 3, Psalm 23, there's these, um, you know, if we were to have a zombie apocalypse and or some Nazi revolution and all Bibles were to be burned tomorrow and we were to wipe the internet of any scriptural references at all, I think one of the first things I would do is I would go down and as best as I can from memory and I would script Romans 8, Ephesians 3, and Psalm 23. And if that's all I had, I think that would be enough for me. Um, and I don't know if you have scriptures like that, but, but Ephesians 3, it's hard for me to get through anything really without kind of going back to that. But uh, let me read it real quick to you because I don't have it on the screen, I don't think. Um, Ephesians 3, it says, okay, all this super cool stuff about the, what the Lord has done for you. Uh, and it says, so that, so, you know, just know I'm catching him in mid-breath here. So, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, um, which is very similar to the love of God has been perfected in you, uh, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in this love, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints, all your brothers and sisters that claim to follow Jesus, that you may corporately all together be able to comprehend, I lost my place, with all of them, what is the breadth and length and height and depth? Uh, know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Know that which surpasses knowledge. There's a miracle there. And that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. And that last phrase is just kind of been messing with me pretty hard here lately. 
that you, as the work of God's love in you is perfected and it reaches its goal, that we actually, in that process, we are being filled up to all the fullness of God. And so what is, if you are filled up, what are you not? You're not empty. There's, it's not like you're at three quarters of a tank and you've got a quarter that you've got to like desperately find now. Like you, you, are, you are lacking in nothing, right? There is, um, there's this posture that we have sometimes in relationships where we feel like we've got to be a relational beggar is what I call it when I'm kind of working through stuff with my teenage daughter and my, my boys. Um, or emotionally, you've got to be a beggar or spiritually, you've got to be a beggar where there's, there's some hole in your heart and you're trying to fill and you're just so desperately grasping at things and you, want, you, and you, and you need validation. You need a sense of worthy or you need somebody to say you're successful or you need um, to be said, told that you're, you're, you're worthy of love or that you're lovely or, or whatever it is. If you're not filled up to the fullness of God, then you're going to the world and you're seeking these things out, whether you know it or not, right? You are grasping at things and you don't realize it. I mean, I, you know, I think lately I was struggling with some anger stuff and like, it's like, why the frick am I so angry? And there's a need there. I was not allowing the Lord to fill me up to the fullness. So I was like, I was really ticked off when I wasn't getting what I wanted from somebody. There's a root there. And so God says, I want to fill you up to all the fullness of God. And so that you don't need to go to the love. To, so when we think of like, do not love the world, it's not just like, oh, well, I'm choosing to love the world. No, it's, it's this idea that like, I'm going to stiff arm my source of being full. I'm going to stiff arm the Lord and get what I want from that. And I'm going to go to the world and I'm going to go get that. And I'm going to, I'm going to love the world as my source for that stuff. And John says, don't do that. Let's walk the path with John. Where's he taking us? He's saying, don't. Don't do that. Um, the kind of last point here I'm going to hang on was uh, this diagram um, that I made. So I'm an engineer. I apologize. Um, and I was working through in college. It's actually where I met my wife. She picked me up on the side of the road a few weeks later. We were randomly selected to co-lead this Bible study for incoming freshmen all over the book of Romans. That's a sledgehammer to the heart. And I fell in love with Lauren through the whole deal. And here we are. Um, but as I'm working through Romans, um, just super deep, complex, theological stuff. And so I had to write diagrams. I had to draw diagrams and help me to kind of understand. And so this one, this one is super old. Um, this thing is over 20 years old and various versions, but I kind of simplified it here for you guys. So on, one, on the left side, you have one destination. It says, for the law of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death, right? So you've got sin and death on the left-hand side. On the right-hand side, for the law, for the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. It's abundant life. It's eternal life. It's peace that surpasses knowledge. That's on the right-hand side. And for, to oversimplify again, I'm going to ignore the soul, and I'm just going to say, um, when you think about who you are, I'm going to say, I'm going to kind of follow the pattern of Galatians 5 and 6, and Romans 7 and 8, if you guys want to go check them out later, and really say that there's really just two parts. There's your flesh, and then there's your spirit, okay? And your flesh, when we are born, when we start this life, we've got the deeds of the flesh, which are condemned as soon as you sin, the very first time you're condemned and worthy of death, the Bible teaches, which is really hard to grasp. Uh, the desires of your spirit are equally as broken, right? When God, uh, this is the whole doctrine of original sin, which I hate that phrase because originally we weren't, we were what? We were good. <laughs> in fact, God says we were very good. <laughs> so, but once sin entered in, uh, the Bible teaches that we've inherited that sinful nature, that, in, that sinful seed from Adam. And so, this is a, we're just a hot mess. Everything in us, you know, we may try whatever, but we're headed to sin and destruction. And then um, through the miracle of what we're going to do here later this morning through baptism, that is a, a physical picture of this spiritual reality that happens to us. It's this promise, actually, that God gives us that when you finally say, when you come face to face with the sacrifice that Jesus, that, that, made, that he made for you, that he paid the penalty of your sin, and you say, okay, I want that to apply to me because I don't want to pay for my sin. And I finally get off the throne of my life and I put Jesus Christ on the throne of my life. When you make that transaction, it actually, the Bible teaches, it says you die. 
you die. And that's why in baptism, we put you down in the water. You die, and then you are resurrected, just like Jesus. You are resurrected to newness of life. You are a new creation, the Bible teaches. Well, when you do that transaction, you don't, you don't physically die and then are resurrected in the flesh. That'll come later. Um, but that is a spiritual reality that happens. And so eventually, you know, you will die, and then we're going to have this really cool experience for the rest of eternity where 100% of us, there's no holding back. We are all running hard after the Lord and praising him and participating in what he wants to do in the cosmos. It's going to be awesome. But in the meantime, we're in this tug of war, right? Where our spirit, uh, Romans 7 says, for, um, uh, what does it say? Uh, for we joyfully concur with the law of God in our inner man, in our spirit, right? Like is fully running after the Lord, but then our spirit, our flesh is over here. And our flesh has got a different, different priorities, different agenda. And so we're in this tug of war, the Bible teaches. Now, why am I taking this aside and walking you through this? We gotta walk the path with John here. What's he teaching us? Remember what we're walking through. We're walking through Gnosticism that says the flesh, material, flesh and blood, it's flawed. It's broken anyway. So there's nothing you can do about it. Just let the flesh do its thing. The spirit's going to do its thing and the flesh is going to do its deal. And so what you end up with from a psychological standpoint is, is really the version of Christianity that we have here in the U.S. Where it's like, you know, it's okay if I have one foot in the world and I have one foot in the kingdom of God. And this is just perfectly fine. And you know what? If I want to say I'm a Christian, if I want to go to church, if I want to read my Bible, if I want to pursue the Lord and do that, even, even authentically and from a deep place, but then if I want to come over here and every once in a while I want to look at porn, it, you know, there's no real cost to it. Or if somebody says something to me that hurts me and I want to just harbor and dwell and based in unforgiveness and hatred for that person, you know, I'm kind of justified right? And so what Gnosticism does is it says, hey, it's okay. Your version of Jesus, like you can modify his teaching. You can rationalize his teaching. You can in some way debunk who he truly is, and you can follow that Jesus where this and this is okay. And John is saying, guard yourselves, little children, from idols, from a false View nowhere in this letter does he talk about graven images and images up on the wall that you got to bow down to and burn incense. But what he is doing is repeatedly giving us these examples of ways that we just modify Jesus slightly and say, That's the Jesus I want to follow. And that is not what it means to follow him and to be a Christian. What it means is, okay, flesh. Uh, I mourn, I grieve, I am heartbroken over the fact that this is who I am in some respects. And this is what I struggle with, whether it's alcohol or, or uh, addictive tendencies or whatever it is. Like, think of your dark thing, but it is the joy and the privilege of the Christ follower to arm wrestle this flesh into alignment with our spirit Let's, let's fast forward 10,000 years from now. We're all dead, okay? We're in heaven, new heaven and new earth. We're doing our thing like we are beholding the Lord with no barrier in between us. We know him intimately. We are a part of what he is doing and we're playing our role and we are just, you know, filled up all the time, just pegged down on full. And, and you know what we're gonna laugh about? You know what we're gonna talk about? You know what we're gonna say were the good old days? You know, when we're talking to the angels and others that never had it, it's that time when we're here, when the whole culture is going against the Lord. And we're saying, no, we're running hard. Again, we're going to go upstream and we're going to pursue him with everything in us, right? And when my flesh was weak, do you guys remember when our flesh was weak? And oh my gosh, and then the steel came out and like, ah, uh, yeah. And, and we're going to struggle over here, but we are going to rejoice in those brief moments in our lifetime and this is the only shot we got, by the way, when we are going to align our flesh with the rest of eternity that says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then we're not weird. We're not out of place. We're not awkward. We're actually in greater alignment with all of eternity than when we were just like, hey, I'm just going to go with the culture and do this. And so if I'm over here and I have a lifestyle that's justified and I rationalize my Jesus, oh, my heart breaks because John says, you're following an idol. It's not real. 
And so it is now our joy and our privilege to align ourselves. That's why, you know, getting down on our knees to pray, this is why when you worship and you lift your hands or when you crawl into water that's too cold and you're, and you're gonna get dunked, those brief moments when our flesh is in alignment with our spirit and it's a great thing. And if that flesh is too powerful, you know what you do? You starve the dang thing. You fast if you have to. You do whatever you have to do to pursue the Lord, feed your spirit, get in his word, pray to him, talk to him, have a dialogue with him. And you starve the flesh. And you say no, you die. If, if by living in the spirit we are putting to death the deeds of the flesh, that is the resurrected life that pleases him. And look, this isn't burdensome. This isn't hard. This isn't something we gotta do and grit our teeth and make happen. It's because of his love for us that compels us to live a life like that. Oh, thank you, John. Uh, man, I just really wanna pray right now. But, uh, I'll resist uh, that. And, and can we just have a moment of response? Um, we'll pass the microphones around, uh, but just a brief moment of... Um, you know, as I'm speaking and as we're kind of letting this, this text kind of take root, um, any thoughts or comments, challenges? Hi, my name's Ed. Ed. I just wanted to say the symbolism that you were talking about earlier in the verses when it says, I, I'm writing to you, little children. I'm writing to you, young men. I'm writing to you, fathers. When we first become Christians, we're little men, I mean little children rather. We have sins, we have faults, we have all kinds of questions like you were talking about. And John says, know that your sins are forgiven. I'm writing to you young men, so we move along in life like you're talking about and we learn all these battles that were going between flesh and spirit and whatever that you're talking about. And he says, I write to you, know that you're going to overcome, overcome in the evil one. Then when I'm old and I'm a father and I'm saying, I'm writing to you fathers and you look back and you say, praise God, I've known you since the beginning. Mm -hmm. So Maybe this is all through the stages of life. He's writing the symbolism to there is yeah. I'm writing to you in all stages of life. And, 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 you know, you're coming from beginning to middle to that yeah. battle to overcoming. Right. That's so good. Ed. Thank you. That's good. Anything else? Here. Um, Mulaney. Um, and I just uh, was kind of soaking in and floating <laughs> um, between, what is that, 15 and 17? Okay. Um, you know, where he's saying, do not love the world and things in the world and that. Um, and that the last verse that you were talking about, you know, maybe a little bit of struggle there, but um, my version says the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. And it's not, you know, like you said all the time, I love going outside. I love looking at the mountains, the sunset, the leaves on the trees, and just basking in it, you know, mm -hmm. and going... God, thank you so much. I did that this morning, you know. I was like, this is so beautiful. It's amazing. And same time, you know, God turns my heart towards him. And, and I just want to thank him for allowing me to experience this and to right. be here. And at the same time, my heart is so in love with him. And I'm just like, I, you know, this is great. But I can't imagine what it's going to be like right. just to be with you, period, right. you know, for eternity. Yes. And, yeah, I'll dance and sing and have fun here. But it's going to be so much more of a party, right. <laughs> you know, later. And to me, that is what that's saying. It's like mm. this stuff is going to fade. It's going to go away sometime. But if you're in love with him, that's going to last forever. And right. our life with him is forever. Right. Right. So we, we win. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I love it. Uh, hi, uh, I'm Kim. And uh, I don't know, uh, maybe uh, 10 years ago, I was at a church in Mexico, and I had been a you know, believer for quite some time. But they said, hey, if you um, want people to come and 
you know, join uh, around you and lay hands on you to speak, you know, for uh, healing or whatever it is, you know. And, and so I raised my hands, and not only did the adults come around me and lay hands on me, but the children laid hands on oh, me, I too. Yeah. Um, and I'm, tell, I'm getting chills just talking about it right now, but I'm telling you what, I felt, I felt the love of God so powerfully that I just started bawling my eyes out to the point where I was whimpering. Yeah. Um, it, it was so incredibly powerful, and I keep going back to that because it was so good. And then I look out, and I see the people in this church, and I go, you you know, the people in this church, they're not here because I would imagine that most of the people here are not here because they feel guilt manipulated to be here. They're here because they taste and they see what God has because this is different than the world has to offer. This is powerful. The praise, the worship, the fellowship, what what is here going on right now is this is like nothing we could ever possibly imagine. Love it. Thank you so much. So, Justin, somebody watching online is asking, how, how do we live as John calls us in a fallen world and not come off as judgmental to our fellow humans who are not Christians? Yeah, it's a great, great question. And I think uh, for many of us, so um, I'm kind of an Enneagram 8 kind of guy. So, um, you know, like it's in uh, one of the Marvel movies when they're asking the Hulk, the guy that's the Hulk, and they're asking like, what's your secret? How do you get angry? Like when he, he's like, my secret is I'm always angry. And that, that's, that's how I, yeah, that's me. I'm like, hmm. and Lauren was like, hey. Um, I'm so, not super proud of that. But, um, but, but I, I am one of those, right? Like um, I am super quick to condemn, condemn myself, condemn other people. I judge like crazy. Um, it's just this ugly side of who I am. Um, and so I, I, I hearken back to the fact that, um, like Mother Teresa, she said, somebody asked her, how do you do it? And she said, I've just got to go to the deep well every day. I've got to go to the deep well, and I throw my bucket down, and I just drink of this living water that becomes in us. Now, jumping to Jesus, now it becomes in us a, a, spring, a spring of joy and, and everlasting love and everything else from the inside out. And so I would say, uh, you know, big question, right? Like how do we live our life where we're not totally condemning other people and, and trying to do this? Um, it's so important for the love of God to do that work in our hearts. And, how can, and that's not a one-time, you know, uh, hit it and move on type thing. It's every day. Uh, spending time with the Lord, seeking him. Even like right now, my, my rhythm is I've got a long commute. So what I used to do, get up early in the morning and spend time with Jesus um, is, I mean, unless I do that 3.30 in the morning, like that's, uh, maybe I should. Um, that's, that's tougher for me in this current season. So I spend time with the Lord. I listen to the Bible every day on the way into work. There's things that I pray for every day. There's things that I just try to engage with the Lord on a daily rhythm. Uh, and when you do that for uh, months, it's pretty cool. When you do it for years, it's great. When you do it, uh, I had a guy disciple me. He said, you do that for a lifetime. They write books about you. Like, um, that's so rare, uh, but it's what we need. Otherwise, what are we doing? We're just kind of playing, right? So if we build that intimacy with Jesus, he changes us from the inside out, and you're actually able to function in a way that you're not naturally wired to do, because we become, Romans 8, kind of that upward spiral that those who he predestined, he ordained, and, and it's this upward spiral to, until finally we become the image of Jesus Christ on earth, and that's what we're looking for. So as you're talking about that, the thought that came to my mind is that um, if we function from our knowledge, our head knowledge, I think that's when we get judgmental, and when we function from our heart, that's when we walk as Christ. Yeah, that's a great answer. That's a better way to say it. Hello. Oh, there you go. I think just to add on to actually that um, comment with the, the idea of like intellectual knowledge of the Lord and heart knowledge, I have a, a neat like example that I had where intellectually the, the cross and Jesus' sacrifice, I got it on an intellectual level of the weight of it and the, and the cost of it. But then in my heart... I just, I couldn't feel the experience of it. I just couldn't feel the weight of it. And I remember crying out to the Lord being like, I get it in my mind, but I don't get it in my heart. So please help. And then on the way home, he actually, like, it's not something I can explain with words, but it's like he touched my heart and just like switched, you know, like flipped the switch. And all of a sudden I could hear it with my heart and I could feel it. Mm. So I feel like a lot of like our intellectual knowledge, especially in the North American church, like we have to ask the Lord, change it into my heart because yeah. I can't do it on my own. Yeah. Man, that's so good. 
It's not us. It's him. The onus is on him. He's got to put the love in there and he's got to make it grow. You, we can't just like make that happen. That's good. We heard a cool, cool testimony from the, from the baptismal pool over there yesterday that was very similar. Just crying out for the Lord and he just appeared to him in that way. Um, yeah, just thinking about the goodness of God too, the question you asked earlier. Um, I think about my life and I think about, I became a Christian when I was 14, so I was pretty much in the middle of adolescence and I threw away all my CDs that were secular and went through that season. Did you kiss dating goodbye? I did. Oh, I kissed dating go. goodbye um, for a season. I did. Uh, <laughs> um, but my story has taken like a total different turn than I ever thought it would. I'm divorced and that is like a scarlet letter feeling mm. on a Christian. Um, and so there's this feeling of kind of a, like breaking down of what I thought was true and what, who I thought God was in the midst of it and learning how to see myself, how God sees me and seeing God's goodness in that journey and being authentic in it. Like we're not perfect in the process. We're not going to, this struggle, it's a struggle. Right constantly until the day we die. And so it's, it's being authentic and vulnerable with the people around us and sharing that with people. That's what draws them in. It's not this, I'm perfect and I can perform and be A plus B equals C. Like, no, we are vulnerable humans who are showing our raw, real struggle in this world yeah. to follow Jesus um, and learning who we are in God and whose we are, yeah. not what we think we're supposed to be. Yeah. So. Amen, amen. So good. Yeah, thank you. Anybody else? All right, over here, Laura. Yeah, I just wanted to touch on too, just experiencing God, like knowing him in that way, for me often has come through the trials and hard times, um, which is, is so hard, but that's where like I learned that God was my deliverer in a hard situation with a friend who was accusing me of things that I didn't do. And had to trust the Lord to come through for me and have my back. And I learned he was my comforter and my peace when we miscarried. And he became so close to me in a way that I only knew in my head. Like, mm -hmm. it, it's through, for me, it's been through those really hard times and challenging times that I've experienced just mm -hmm. the true goodness and character of God, like yeah. I, I never knew His peace until just even a few months ago. We're just going through a storm, and in our marriage and family and church world, like His peace was so far beyond anything I could comprehend. Even though circumstances were kind of chaotic, right. <laughs> so I hope that's just an encouragement to you all too. Of when we encounter those trials and hard times. Like to just lean in, yeah. like you said, that drawing close to him and he yeah. draws close to us and um, teaches us and mm -hmm. brings so much purpose and life through that. So, yeah. yeah, thank you. That's so good. Yeah. You know, knowledge is not bad and we don't have to strive for those experiences. Like those experiences will come. And, and I, there was a guy in Algeria that was really struggling with, like, I can't believe God brings pain. But it's like, oh, if we had the perspective that he had, as we're able to bear, he gives us that diagnosis. He gives us that child with that issue, or he gives us this thing because he has us on a path and he wants to prove faithful. And he, wanna take, he wants to take it from here to here. I think that's great. We don't have to rush that. So, okay. My name's Mary, and I'm a visitor. Um, I'm visiting my daughter, who lives in Castle Rock, and I decided I'm going to church today. And come she's on. been here seven years, and on none of my visits have I come to a church in Castle Rock so far. I belong to a very strong church family in Virginia, where I live. Okay. Um, recently, um, I sold a house in a week's time. I had no place to go yet. I didn't know where I was moving to. So it was between Castle Rock and Virginia, pretty much. Um, and I'm living on Social Security, so it also depends on that. And I've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. Nothing was opening up here. Nothing was opening up there. And I finally, about two weeks ago, I was down to the drawing board because we made settlement on the 20th. 
and I still had, didn't have a place I was going to live. I can't live at my daughter's because my ex-husband lives there. I visit, that's good enough. Um, but <laughs> living there isn't going to work because then I'll be in jail. But anyway, so, <laughs> you know, can I say? But anyway, so um, this you one day. You seem like such a sweet lady. <laughs> <laughs> I am. But this, this one morning, I, um, I was having a really rough time. Um, the um, cell towers had been taken down in my area, so I have no cell phone now. I was living on a mountain. And I went in to find out what was going on with that. Not they couldn't do anything. I checked out something else. They couldn't do anything. And I'm in the mall with two friends of mine who were helping me with them getting things together. And I was just like, all right, Lord, I can't take it anymore. I'm done. You know, you, you take everything down to the line with me. You never give me an opportunity. You, you know what my heart desires. You won't answer me. You wait till the last minute. And in that same flash of a moment came, you read Job today. That was your meditation. What part didn't you get? And I went, but I'm praising you in everything, Lord. <laughs> so I turned around to my friends. I said, all right, I had my three-minute meltdown. I'm done. Well, that night, I got a text that there was an apartment available in Harrisonburg for the amount that I needed to spend, including everything. And it's a tiny little apartment. It's not what but I it's wanted. What you need. But it's what I needed. Yeah, and it's still good. in Virginia with my church family oh, and friends there. But I'll we're, still visit well, we're here. Really glad for that <laughs> testimony here. That's good. Thank you. That's cool. All right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pray now. Uh, Lord God, we just we just feel so rich uh, because of what you've given us. Uh, and even this morning, um, uh, you give us far beyond what we deserve. But Lord, I, I just pray that this truth would just set deep in our hearts and that it would echo in our uh, in our hearts and minds as we kind of walk through our week this week and we're hurt and we encounter temptations and everything else that you would uh, continue that loving and timely work of uh, sanctification in us where you are turning us into who Jesus Christ is, uh, that you are making us look like him, walk as he walked on this earth. And we do pray for that perspective that it is our privilege and our joy to struggle with the flesh and the world and all that and to bring that into alignment with you. And so Lord, give us strength. We cannot do that on our own. And Lord, keep us on the path. We thank you for these baptisms we're about to see and we just pray you'd stir in the hearts of people as this miracle is about to transpire right here in front of us. We thank you for that too. In Jesus' name, amen.